dials it up, picked off again, Christian Harris, it's going to go, back-to-back pick sixes, Houston, you have no problem with this defense. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Brennan. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass, and it's a Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. It's a Monday edition of the Killer Bees after the Houston Texans have won a playoff game. First time in four years uh, that we can say that the Houston Texans won a playoff game. Last time was against the uh, the Bills, and then they went and lost to the Colts. That's okay. Uh, no mention of that. I hated that call, by the way. Houston, no problem here, I think, with the defense. Yeah. I, I, I'm so over that call. I'm all of that so stuff. Over it. Yeah, I mean, all the national people think they're cute, and it's like we've heard it so many times from so many different people, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, Noah Eagle, who's like 24 years old, and he was saying that Bobby Slowick's an impressive young man. So the guy's nine years older than you or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's all secondary. The uh, the primary, the uh, the lead, the story. Uh, the Houston Texans get the victory against the Cleveland Browns in convincing fashion, in dominating fashion, led by uh, two possessions at the half, got a couple of pick sixes. Really, the Steven Nelson interception is the one that put it away for me because it's a 10-point game there the Browns were driving actually and that Flacco interception off his back foot it was first down what are you thinking Joe Flacco but it goes back to what we were talking about last week uh, that Joe Flacco is going to give you at least one he might give you a couple now we thought they would be interceptions not necessarily pick sixes but if they even if they get a field goal there it's a one possession game instead pick six three possession game you get the pick six right after that there was no looking back dominating victory for the Houston Texans nice to see and the question is now what impresses you the most about the win what are the biggest takeaways from the win 713-780-ESPN HRMP listener line 713-780-3776 what about you Blankers I'm just going to start with the obvious but but CJ Stroud because I think I'm going to take it to where what what bothers me the most is how people are still looking for things he has to do to prove that he is this that he's that that he's special that he's it he's everything and every time he takes the field he kind of takes it to another level and you see that he still isn't turning the ball over and he's still leading this team making all the throws and no moment seems to be too big and he just continues to impress with every time he put he you know he laces him up puts his helmet on and you look at it and say I think that was the biggest factor why we all felt pretty good about this game this weekend was the fact that hey look you didn't have CJ the last time you played the Browns no matter how good your defense is and then he just did what he did to the best defense in the NFL, and it looked like it was effortless. It didn't look like he was running for his life. It didn't look like he was, you know, he was having to make all the throws, but he made all the throws. He got everybody involved, did everything he had to do, and the, the, the cohesiveness that he and Bobby Slowick have is just so fun to watch because there's a wrinkle here. To me, it was the most complete game this team, from, an, from a coaching staff to the players, have played all season long. Came at the right time, but it starts with the head of the snake, and CJ continues to impress and let everybody know, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here for a long time, but I, I am really, really good at what I do. Yeah, it was it was all of that. It was everything that you needed. Like it was all the timely things. Like you, you needed good quarterback play against the number one defense in the NFL. And C.J. Stroud was unbelievable. Like, go look at his like his final numbers. Kind of look, I mean, good. They look good. Obviously, they look good. But he did like ninety five percent of that 
in the first half. Like 95% of his numbers uh, for the for the most part were in the first half. So he was incredible. Like he had over 225 yards in the first half. He had multiple touchdowns in the first half against a really good defense. I'm with you. I thought Bobby Slowick brought his A game. Bobby Slowick was fantastic, uh, I thought, which, you know, there's there's a downside to that uh, because everybody else saw that as well, but you'll take it. Like if you mm-hmm. win a playoff game because your offensive coordinator brings his A game and it maybe gets him hired by somebody else, well, he won you a playoff game. Uh, D'Amico, I thought, was was fantastic for the the adjust. Like he, they were getting gashed a little bit there in the second quarter through the passing game. Got stuck in their base four three defense. Look at the adjustments though. The, mm-hmm. the Browns didn't score in the second half. The Texans turned them over twice. They started to get to Flacco, so the adjustments were there. But also the the little things that we were we were discussing too that, that they needed to do. Like they need to be good in certain areas. Uh, the turnover game, they, they they had the two turnovers. They didn't turn it over once. Uh, we talked about the red zone offense. Well, the Houston Texans scored for the most part when they got into the red zone. They were finishing drives. They were scoring touchdown, touchdowns. Uh, they only settled for the one Kaimi Fairbairn field goal. Ironically enough, the very first time the Houston Texans scored on the first scoring series that they had. So they did all of the the, the stuff that you needed. Good defense. Uh, C.J. Stroud playing well good game plans offensively and defensively, but the little things were there, too, for the Houston Texans. They were, and, and you know that even Singletary, didn't, he didn't have a great game. He had 66 yards, but he did enough to have the balance that you needed, and, and that's why I think Slowick did so so well in terms of all the motion, the pre-snap motion, the way that he moved things around so that this team could could, could do some things, and I know we, we joke about it, about it's tough to beat a team twice, especially in a short period of time. I don't think that. But I, I know you don't, uh, but, but I, I think that the one thing that I think that the Texans learned was, especially playing a defense like this, is that you have to make constant adjustments. You have to constantly be reacting to what they bring to you when they're changing what they what they you know doing series to series. I thought that their adjustments were really good this time. I thought they were prepared on both sides of the football. That's a credit to D'Amico and the coaching staff. But it was fun to watch because it seemed like on both sides of the football, they were in total control. They knew what they were going to do. They were going to execute what they were going to do. And everybody seemed to be hyper-focused. And, and you're right. I, I think that if you didn't know about Bobby Slowick before, what he just put on paper, as opposed to like a Dan Quinn who was supposed to have a slam dunk head coaching job, there's going to be more teams that maybe weren't considering him before that are going, hey, this dude knows this Shanahan-type offense. This guy knows how to call a, 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 a game, and he's really impressive. I disagree with you a little bit, a little bit on that, because I, I think NFL people already knew that. I, I think it's more the fan bases. It's more the fan bases that you're trying to sell and you hire too. Uh, let's just throw a random team, Washington. Like Adam Peters, the new general manager for Washington. You, you think he doesn't know about Bobby Slowick? No, he does. Like, that's, but it's the fan base that you're selling sure. the candidate to, and I think that's where it makes it easier to sell him uh, to a fan but, base. But I'll give you the flip maybe, side. Maybe that's the hesitation of not hiring a Slowick over like a Benny Johnson is that Johnson's done it for longer. But now that Slowick has this game and a standalone game was super impressive, now it's an easier sell to the fan base. Yeah, and I'll give you the flip side of that. That's a, that's a job we didn't know was going to be open. We thought it might, but Dallas. Dallas is supposed to be so hyper-focused on Belichick, but if you look at Ben Johnson and you look at a Bobby Slowick and you look at guys that can take weapons in an offense – and or make the quarterback's job easier and, and make a, a fluid situation even when it seems like you've got pieces but there's no cohesiveness. Those are the kind of fits that I think Jerry Jones really should be looking at if he makes a coaching change because I think if you take Bobby Slowick and you give him the weapons that they already have on their roster, I think you don't need a defensive-minded, old-school head coach like Bill Belichick. You need, uh, and no matter who he does hire and whether he gets it right or not with all the different really weird ways he's done OCs, 
if you get a guy that's an offensive-minded football coach and you take him and give him the weapons that they have on a team like that, you might not have paid attention to it before, but now there's two glowing examples of guys that probably are better fits than Bill Belichick in Dallas. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Dallas. They don't deserve to be talked about in the lead segment of the Killer Bees today. Maybe later uh, we can talk about them. But what was the, the biggest takeaway, the biggest storyline that you had? 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Look, you, you mentioned the Stroud thing where, like, he, he again answers the bell. Uh, he again proves that he's big-time Stroud. We, we knew that. Like, we, we've been there. We, we feel that C.J. Stroud is that guy. I think he put it on display in Week 18. Like, if you want to go back to college, which I hesitate to do at times, you can point back to the Georgia game. Uh, you can look to all of the questions that he has answered throughout the entire season. Like, does he belong? Is this for real? Um, week two, well, this is garbage time. Can he do it in real games? Can he lead a comeback? Well, he did it against Tampa Bay. Well, can he be consistent? Well, he's been consistent. Can he do it in a, in a winner in game? Well, he's done that. So he's answered every question that we've had along the way. I think we've known that locally. Like, we've bought into that locally for the most part, except for the trolls like King of Twitch and some of the Twitchers. Right. That, you know, that's just their shtick. That's just their gimmick. But I, nationally, I think, is that where that's come in. Like, now sure. you have Pat McAfee that's losing his mind about C.J. Stroud. Uh, Joe played the Rex Ryan. He is him. So, like, nationally, that, that notion is there. That praise is there. But then from a Houston Texans point of view, I think what we've learned, what and like the Browns play Joe Flacco, like beating Joe Flacco should be doable. It was doable. And they're going to take a huge step up in competition going to either Baltimore to take on Lamar or going to Kansas City to take on Mahomes. The biggest thing that I learned from this game, though, was that the Texans now belong in that conversation. They now belong in the conversation with the top teams in the AFC. And then they might get hammered by Kansas City or, mm-hmm. or, or Baltimore. But they're now in that weight class. They're now in the conversation. Can Stroud beat Lamar? Can the Texans beat Ravens? Can the Texans go into Arrowhead and knock off Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs? If you want to throw the Bills into that mix as well. The Texans have graduated really throughout the entire season. They graduated from being a cellar dweller, laughingstock of the NFL, and they've consistently climbed the mountain to where right now, today, the Houston Texans are at the top with those other teams in the conversation. Well, I think, Jeremy, the same way that you know there, there was this checklist, this imaginary checklist for CJ, what we just saw was, and what I was thinking about during the course of the game is, oh, They've evolved to the point where they are now here from an organizational standpoint. We know what we, and we've discussed the ownership. Then we went to the general manager and how Nick turned it around. Then we went to the first time head coach and the, the, the rookie quarterback. But now what you looked at after getting not only just a playoff win, because they've had those before, but in just such a dominating style, uh, the way that they set the tone early and then they just would not let, let off the gas pedal and just kept hammering until, you know, it was almost a mercy submission rule. You look at that and you say, they are here. They are now where we wanted them to be, but we didn't know the next time we were going to see them in that position because they had been through so much. There was so much darkness. There were so many black clouds and mistakes and, and just embarrassments. And you kept going, okay, well, this is a good start. Okay, well, they're at 500. That's great. Well, okay, they've got a chance to make the playoffs. Cool. Then they make the playoffs. They win the division, and you're like, yeah, they're, they're getting there. Now you go and do what you did on, on Saturday – and you let the whole world know, hey, look, the timetable sped up. We're there. We're, we're going to, and we're not going anywhere, but this is for everybody to know with the way we won and, and the fact that we did win in, in a season where not many people thought they would even be in the playoffs. This is where the whole organization says we are now established and we're going forward looking like we're going to be one of the better teams in the AFC. 
Good quarterback, good head coach, uh, and some you know key players around him. Texans are. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights, but they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. He's blank on Branham. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. Joe's at George George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Uh, we're all on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Always, always a lively bunch uh, in the Twitch. Keith from L.A. on the text line. Uh, what a game for the Texans that they didn't believe they do now. I don't feel like there was a whole lot of, uh, you know, people not believing that the Texans were at least capable of beating Cleveland or that they're moving in the right direction, but... For the some, and you know who you are, for the some, and you know who you are, I would agree to that. I would agree that they probably eliminated a few of the minority that was still left. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, we see it on a daily basis. You get you run every stage of the, the barometer. You get some people that are super hot on them and, and other people that are ice cold and don't believe in them. And then there's some people that fall in the middle. But that one right there and the way they went about their business was enough to convince a lot of people that, hey, maybe I was shortchanging them. Maybe I wasn't giving them uh, enough credit for what they were doing because of the schedule and all the different variables where you would try to try to soft sell it and say it's not that big of an accomplishment. This team is prepared every week. This team has talent from the coaching staff and, and, and the front office, but especially on the field. It's a different team than we've seen in the past with aging veterans and cheap contracts. And this team is capable of hanging in there and playing with just about anybody in the NFL. And that's not something I think anybody was prepared to say at the start of the year, but that's why you're changing opinions on the fly because with each passing game, you have no choice but to stand back and give them their props and say, that was an impressive ball game from start to finish. 713-780-ESPN. Lamont on Twitter, not trying to be a buzzkill, but didn't we know that the Browns' defense was bad on the road? Just happened the last time they played us on the road. The Texans were playing with the skeleton crew. That's something that you pointed to uh, last week, Blankers. And uh, They beat up on the Texans, but the Texans had case. Uh, yep. they, they didn't have, you know, they were, they were a skeleton crew, as Lamont put it. It is so weird. It's so weird that Cleveland was so dominant at home and so bad on the road throughout the year. They must have been stealing signs. I think they were stealing signs. <laughs> I, I think that as talented as they are, it's easy to just pin your ears back and have a field day on literally the third-string quarterback all year uh, with a team that was missing 11 different players, I think it was, that, that played some kind of a significant role for the most part on both sides of the football. And the biggest the biggest one that was the biggest game-changer, which, like I said, why all three of us felt pretty confident about this team, was the fact that you can say that you dominated. You did. You can say Amari Cooper did this and Placco did that. Fine. But from the standpoint of a Texans giving you a game, it all starts with C.J. Stroud. And if C.J. Stroud's on the field, no matter who's hurt or not hurt at the receiver position or what the offensive line looks like, there's a damn good chance he's going to keep his team in the game and, and be competitive. And that's not something you can say. It's one thing to say, hey, Case can do this against Tennessee. But if you put Case against the number one defense, whether they're home or their road, no one in their right mind should be expecting that he's going to be able to move the football consistently and do the kind of things that CJ's capable of doing. 
Battery Chuck, funny, I don't remember anyone saying the Browns sucked on the road. All I heard was they were the best defense in the league. Blankers was all over it last week. I talked about it all before the uh, week 16 game yep. ahead of Christmas Eve, so that's uh, you weren't listening there, Battery. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. What about you, Joe? What are your, uh, what were you most impressed by with this Texan victory in the wild card round? You know, I remember when D'Amico Ryans got hired, uh, one of the questions about, about this team was, can D'Amico have the success on defense he had in San Francisco with lesser talent, can he find his next Fred Warner? Hello, Christian Harris. Uh, he was a monster in this game. I don't know if he's ever Fred Warner good, but like the fact that like what Christian Harris has done from the beginning of the season till now is so impressive. The breakdown on ESPN from Teddy Bruschi where there was the out route, uh, a short out route in the end zone from Will Levis, and Christian Harris dropped the pick. It was the exact same play they got the pick six on. Like Christian Harris was an absolute monster in this game. And I love seeing the relationship between those two of those guys on the sideline. Like you can tell there's an energy after that play when Harris is going to D'Amico that just seems a little bit different. So he's a monster. I love that guy. His evolution's been kind of interesting this year because he he, w- he had trouble getting on the football field. Mm-hmm. Like, like they were prioritizing Blake Cashman. They were they remember when Henry Toa yep, was wearing yep. the green mm-hmm. dot. Yep. Uh, Perryman was ahead of Harris, so Harris has come a long way. Uh, I think for him, it was difficult to like maybe play the way that D'Amico wanted in his scheme. Like that sort, like certainly talented. And and I almost think that D'Amico, in a way to get the most out of him, had him behind those guys early in the season as a way to know that that's how he's going to pull the most out of Christian Harris. But yeah, Harris has turned into uh, to quite the player. Like You had the interception, obviously. But, I mean, interceptions, you know, each interception tells its own story, as the great Brock Osweiler used to say. But then he had that sack on the fourth down, uh, once you were up big, which gave the Texans the football, preserved the shutout in the second half. But then he was just flying all over the field. Like, mm-hmm. he was flying all over the field, making great tackles. A lot of times he was the first tackler near, like, whoever caught the football. And it's, hey, if you don't make this tackle, it could be a conversion. It could be a first down. Uh, he has really turned into a solid backer for the Texans when, quite frankly, the Texans haven't had great linebacker play this year. There's a reason they play nickel and not 4-3, and they're prioritizing Desmond King being on the football field as your nickel corner over a third linebacker when they cut Desmond King at the start of the season. So it's not a position that the Texans are, like, rich in. Uh, so it is really nice to see Christian Harris kind of turn into that player we thought that he could. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I loved him coming out of college, and I know he kind of got off to a, a slow start because of injury, and then when he got on the field, he showed glimpses, and then he's, he's, he's kind of been hot and cold, to your point. Uh, I, I think that the one thing that noti- I noticed all on this defense, to Joe's point about D'Amico, all season long, because I think it is something that is kind of a, a, a spinoff of what your coach is, is doing to prepare you, is that is the brother-in-law effect that we've seen all year long, because you mentioned it. It was Cashman in 2020 when it wasn't Harris, but it seemed like week to week there was some guy in that group that was stepping up it was Collins and Rankins and one guy or the other was constantly stepping up even if the other guy was out or was struggling and you can go up and down the list across a lot of the different elements on this team going that's the beauty of the fact that we we, we questioned the depth early on of this this team that they, they got good starting players but we we were questioning the depth early and then Nick was making a lot of moves late trying to trying to do something about some of it but what we saw come to fruition especially this weekend was they got guys that step up, and they got guys that are able to pick up for other guys now that they never they didn't have for the last three years. Yeah. And, and that's so enjoyable to watch because you don't care who does it. You just need someone to do it. But in certain cases, like with Christian Harris, he looks like a guy that's, that could actually keep developing into 
a more dominant player for your defense. Yeah, it's, it's, I think he's a pillar. Uh, I think he's a pillar for your defense, and I think you have lots of pillars. Uh, mm-hmm. Will Anderson's a, a pillar for the defense. So he's he's emerging into a really good uh, defensive end, and you can see how much he's added to his game since the start of the season. He was good day one against the run. Uh, he's added elements to his pass rush and with a, with an unbelievable motor and incredibly raw skills. Uh, like he, I'm bullish on the future of Will Anderson. Uh, Derek Stingley is that pillar. I yep. think Christian Harris has emerged to being a pillar as well. And there's some there's some peripheral guys too. Like is Jalen Petrie. A, a pillar. He's not could on those be. other guys' levels, but I think he's your starting safety for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and he could be, right? We saw him play really well, but probably make way too many tackles uh, a couple years ago. We've seen him fall off a little bit this year, but it doesn't mean that he isn't instinct with his instincts and with some, some more seasoning and some more coaching. It doesn't mean that he can't get back to a very high level. I think it's a stretch to say that I forget which national guy thought he was going to be all pro level he was going to develop into all pro level this year. It didn't go as planned, but he's still a better than average safety right now. And, and with, you know, the right angles and some work, he can get better. 6927, can we give Casario his flowers now for trading Houston's pick to Arizona instead of Cleveland's? Uh, Casario's had a great year. Casario's had a drafted C.J. Stroud. Wow, what a, what a draft pick. I mean, that was fantastic because C.J. Stroud has been unbelievable. Uh, the the trade-up for Will Anderson, like, I love Will Anderson as the player. Like, I, I'm, I'm tired of arguing the debate, and certainly I said some things on draft day. I still think you can argue the value because look what you could have gotten at those picks, but I'm totally pleased with Will Anderson, and I'm happy he is going to be a pillar for the D defense for years to come. One thing that does annoy me with this conversation, though, and I saw it a lot, a lot, after the Houston Texans beat Cleveland on Saturday was this one exactly from this texture that can we thank Casario for trading Houston pick to Arizona instead of Cleveland's? In what world do y'all think that was Nick Casario's decision? Like yeah. that, that was that was Monty Austinford in Arizona that said that's where our conversation is starting with your pick. Is there any evidence? Is there any proof whatsoever that Nick Casario is like you know what we're not trading uh, we're not trading Cleveland's pick we're trading ours? That has never been reported. That has never been out there. And I want to say even if you like the Monty Austinford behind the scenes YouTube TV thing that they did right after the mm-hmm, draft, mm-hmm. like the conversation started with the Houston Texans 2024 pick, and they weren't budging off of that. Yeah, look, I'm with you because on draft day, I had major concerns about the trade as well. It's worked out very much for them in terms of Will Anderson versus what I thought was going to be a very high pick because I didn't think they were going to win as many games, obviously, but they, they, you know that's changed. But you still, with a roster that you didn't know enough about, but it looked like it still was very much starving for better players, you still had the opportunity to, to add two to three more players in that deal. I love Will Anderson. I think that he, you're right. His motor is a big factor in all this. He's extremely skilled and talented. But when you look at, regardless of who you think you could have had, you could have had two more talented guys this year and one extra guy next year. That's where the, the, the concerns started for me as well in the fact that this team needed as many good players as they could get, and they were giving away several to get the one guy they had to have. Does it look good right now? Absolutely it does. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. I just don't understand the. Well, yeah, yay, Casario. You didn't trade your pick. It was never his choice. It was never. And give Casario plenty of flowers. I think he should be executive of the year. Uh, you look at the waiver wire. Look at Derek, Derek Barnett's game that he had this this uh, no this question. week against Cleveland. Look how great of a waiver wire claim that was. Whenever he made it to the Texans, which is kind of a minor miracle. Uh, the rookie class. You should, you could have the offensive rookie of the year. You will have the offensive rookie of the year. You could have the defensive rookie of the year. You drafted Tank Dell. Like Casario deserves all sorts of flowers. But the yay Nick Casario got it right by not including his pick and including Cleveland. Cleveland's pick. It was never his choice. 
Please show me evidence that says otherwise. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. You're Isn't right because we were questioning that Austin Fort video from the time that we yes. saw it. We, from the time we saw it. The first thing we said was, "Well, did it start there? Was there a conversation prior? There, there we already knew that they had talked previously, and there was probably already." Uh, an agreement in place that, hey, look, this isn't going to involve Cleveland's pick. If we're going to even have this discussion, this is what's what it's yeah. going to take. I mean, awesome for it. Yeah, you're Houston. It's going to take 12. It's going to take the Houston 24, and how else can we sweeten it up? And that's where they ended up getting to the deal. It was never Nick Casario making the decision to include the Cleveland pick and not the Houston pick. That, that There is zero evidence to that. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. The, the Bills and the uh, Steelers are about to kick off. Nobody else in the market's carrying that game. Uh, we're not going to carry it, but we are going to give you updates on it throughout the show, probably in and out of breaks, and we'll also let you know when there's any uh, scores in that game as well. So if you want to follow along with that one, we will be giving you updates throughout the way. All right, so we've been critical of the left tackle for the Houston Texans for, for a while. I, I would even say prior to this year we've been critical of uh, number 78. Well, it's time to tip our cap to the left tackle. It's time to tip our cap to number 78 for the Houston Texans. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville loves to take care of Houstonians. I mean, he does a lot of different work. He does plastic surgery, does spa treatments, he does Botox, he does a lot of things that can help both men and women out there, but the one thing that he does that I personally have experience with is the neograft procedure, and and he's such a good dude anyway, but he he was telling me before the holiday, hey, look, I want to do something special for people in Houston. I'm not trying to make a killing and make money on this deal. I'm trying to let people know there is a legitimate legit solution out there to get your hair back. It's called the Neograph procedure. He knew I knew about it because I went through the procedure, but he wanted to do something so that more of you would know about it and be willing to do it to understand how good it can be for you and your appearance. So he dropped the, the follicle charge way down to 350 a follicle. It's a huge savings. It's a massive amount of money. He said, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm trying to get people to understand they can get their hair back. And for you as listeners uh, on ESPN 97.5, you can get a consultation with Doc and his staff so they can explain it all to you. It normally costs 100 50 bucks to meet with him and his staff. It's free for you if you just go to 975hair.com. Go in. Let him explain the procedure to you. Ask all the questions. Get the answers. There's nothing to sign on the dotted line for. No commitment to you financially. You just listen. You ask questions. You get answers. And you see if the procedure's right for you. If you choose to do it like I did, you will be so happy by the time the procedure is over. It normally takes six to nine months to see the full results, but you can see the hair growing almost immediately. The thing that got me... 95 to 99% of the follicles that they're going to move are going to stay and grow and be with you for the long haul because they come from a place that they never go away. Genetically, you never lose the hair on the sides in the back of your head. So if he takes some of the hair from there and puts it where you need it most, maybe it's in front at the hairline or up on top and back, you are going to see the results and you are going to continue to see the results as the hair gets stronger and longer. Check him out today and tell him I sent you by because I think he's the best in the business. Go see Doc Linville. Go to 975hair.com. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. We'll talk about 78 in a moment. Slick Mac asking us on the Twitch, who do you think the Texans match up better with? Uh, what do you think, Blankers? Uh, I think I actually think I, th- I think it's Baltimore because I think that Baltimore, they've they've played them once this year. And I think they did a decent job with Lamar. 
But I, I just think that if you're going to go to Kansas City in those elements, it doesn't matter what Kansas City has at wide receiver. It just they're just they just have a ton of experience playing in really really crappy conditions. I don't think Baltimore is going to be as crappy. I think they got heaters under the field. They got some things too where I don't think the snow would be as big of an issue. And, and I think that for whatever reason, I think CJ now versus CJ when they saw him in the opener is different too. And I think that as much as Baltimore is the one seed. Obviously, they've got some demons to erase. I don't mind going to Baltimore. The uh, Arrowhead has heaters under the field, too. Uh, I right. believe that Buffalo is the only one that doesn't have heaters on the field, but they will in their new stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what, what would you, now 3.30, I guess it would be 4.30 in Baltimore, but 3.30 Central Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you probably dodge a bullet a little bit now that's in the middle of the day as opposed to at night when it comes to the weather. Would you rather have a high of 29, a low of 20, snow showers on Friday, partly cloudy on Saturday with wind at 19 miles per hour, or would you rather have a high of 17, a low of 11, mostly sunny with no snow in the days leading up and 7-mile-per-hour wind? Ooh. I would imagine the latter is Kansas City. It is. Uh I don't Less mind. wind, no snow. Yeah, the wind the wind is big for me. The snow, depending on if it's falling during the game or not, you can have it leading up because they'll they'll have the, the the field cleaned and with the heaters underneath. It's basically neither, yeah. Neither neither city has snow uh, currently forecasted for Saturday. Sunshine and partly cloudy is the big difference. I mean, is the big key because as yeah. long as it's sunny or partly sunny, it's the wind for me. The wind for that me. that plays a big factor as well, but I'm saying the fact that one there's no wind and the other one you said seven miles an hour, so I don't think no, the, no, it's 19 in Baltimore, seven in Kansas City. Yeah, I, well then I'd rather take the conditions in Kansas City. I'm, I'm with you. Like it's it's weird to say that because we just saw the conditions in Kansas City on Saturday night, but the early forecast it'll be a little colder, you know, nine to twelve degrees colder in Kansas City, but twelve mile per hour less wind. I actually think the conditions in Kansas City are more favorable. Uh, than the conditions in Baltimore. The early lines for those games, if depending on the matchup, uh, I think it was FanDuel. Um, the person that, that sent me this is my horse racing guy, Maiden Focus. Uh, but FanDuel has Baltimore as an 8.5-point favorite over the Texans. They have Kansas City as a 6-point favorite over the Texans. I'm pretty torn on this. And, like, I'm, I'm thinking big picture. Like, I'm thinking, hey, you're two wins away from a Super Bowl. You're more than likely going to have to be both anyways. So I don't really care. I think I'd rather go to Kansas City because of the weather, though, and the wind specifically. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you from the standpoint of the conditions. I think the conditions, and we saw that Saturday night, especially with a team like Miami, where I think it would have been a, a grossly different game if you put Miami in good conditions, in good weather. And I don't, and I don't care what anybody says. I think that that really was a huge hindrance to them. But I, I look at it and say, as long as there's not a chance to have slippery footballs and you know visibility issues and footing issues as much when you have the ice and snow, and you look at Andy Reid's mustache and think, well, if that's grass, just think about trying to get your footing on that, no matter what kind of spikes you're wearing. I, I think that's big because the wind can make any temperature feel ten degrees cooler. And it also bites a lot more uh, in terms of how you feel in it. And if the sun is shining, it literally can be the exact opposite. It can give you about a 10-degree warmer feeling with the sunshine out and, and the, 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 the heat actually doing something to the field around you. I, I think that the Kansas City conditions from a week ago to this week sound like night and day. I'd take Kansas City's conditions because it's going to be sunny as well as have little to no wind. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird because of what we just witnessed on Saturday night. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Lamont says the Texans or Cleveland pick even mean anything now. Both of the teams are drafting in the high to mid twenties. Uh, it, it's minor, uh, but I rather have the better pick. Like so, 
I think that's good. Like it was couple, it's kind of a, a double win on Saturday. Not only do you win in advance in the playoffs, but you also lock in uh, a little bit better pick uh, because Cleveland lost. So that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, and you can always, with a couple of spots between, you can always, we've seen Nick do it in the past. There's ways you can trade up a couple of spots if you have to. If there's someone you really locked in on and identify to go get, you're not going to have your pick of the litter like I thought at the start of the year. But yeah, you can make you can make a couple of spots up or down if you need to. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. So number seventy eight. I think we have to give him a, a hat tip. At least I'm going to give him a hat tip. Uh, we've been critical about seventy eight and the left tackle for the Texans. Uh, you know, kind of being a me first guy. I, I had my fun with him not helping out up Stroud. Uh, whenever the four other offensive linemen ran to his defense early in the year, uh, I know we've talked about his contracts. We've talked about him. You know, not necessarily playing in the past when he wasn't a hundred percent. Although this year he hasn't been a hundred percent at all, and he's played most of the year, especially late in the year. Uh, whenever he got his knee clipped on the extra point, which why mm-hmm. is he playing extra points? By the way, that looked nasty. That looked gnarly. Uh, and we know that the left knee was bad. Whenever he got clipped like that, I was like, "Well, he's toast. He's not going to play the rest of the game." He missed that next series, but I have to give him credit for his toughness to to in a playoff game. He's already got a bad left knee, looked like a really nasty clip. Now, it saved him because his leg didn't plant, which was good. But for him to go back in the game after that, I give him a lot of credit for that. See, when I looked at it, you know what? The reaction, first and foremost, was, oh, bleep, because he was was continuing to stay down. He looked like he was shaking his head, you know, and and you're you're thinking the worst. When I saw the replay... I remember saying, at least, I don't think it's that bad because he didn't plant on it when he got it hit. So maybe he avoided something big. But then you could see by the time that he actually, they finally got him up and got him off the field, uh, he basically was telling people, he was shaking his head, I'm all right, I'm all right. And I was like, boy, I hope we see him again today because that's huge against Garrett. And then not only did we see him, but, you know, he brought his best football and he proved that's why he's one of the top five left tackles in the game. So, you can't say it, I will, but Laramie Tunsil, you know, a, a lot of times with good reason, there was a lot of reasons to question his toughness and his want to, especially if the season, you know, depending on where they were in the season. But you can't question his want to and what he did uh, on Saturday. DJ Bianami had some of the uh, the numbers, and they moved Miles Garrett around. Texans did a good job against Miles Garrett, period, period. But whenever he was matched up against uh, 78, though, 12 matchups against Miles Garrett, Tunsil held Garrett to oops, uh, he seventy eight held Garrett to one pressure and no quarterback hits. That's really good, that's really good. and that's a, a big reason why C.J. Stroud was comfortable in the pocket. C.J. Stroud had some time, and C.J. Stroud had a big game. Here was uh, D'Amico Ryan's his head coach talking about uh, the effort that uh, seventy eight gave to the Texans against Garrett. Can't say enough about LT and you know his performance versus arguably the you know top defensive player in the NFL right now. And he's done it time and time again. He's done it. He's had that matchup. You know, we he looked forward to that matchup. And he stands up time and time again. He pushed through there, struggling, fighting through injury, and still battled. And uh, when you have a left tackle who can do that, that allows CJ to shine. That allows us to get the ball off. Right? It all starts with protection. And it starts with LT doing a tremendous job today versus Miles. 
So hat tip to uh, 78 for playing through that, uh, making sure that the Texans kept C.J. Stroud upright and protected. Also, major hat tip to D'Amico Ryans coaching that game with a sore throat. That was really (laughs) impressive. D'Amico is a gamer. He's a grinder. He's a winner. He's not going to miss a game because he's hoarse, and I think that we deserve or we should give a a hat tip to D'Amico Ryans as well. I was just going to ask you how you felt about the the voice characteristics. Maybe he can get some kind of a a quick endorsement deal with. He was drinking hot tea. Hall. Or hot tea or cough yeah. syrup or something because yeah he made a, he made a pretty good recovery he uh, he actually sounded pretty good today I, I guess the day off yesterday uh, at least from talking did him good Alex on the Twitch when seventy eight went down I was like uh oh soft uh, <laughs> that's a fair thought I guess uh, but uh, yeah he he ended up playing through it I think you have to give him some credit for that uh, on a show that hasn't always given seventy eight the uh, the most credit seven one three seven eight zero ESPN ten twenty two left to go first quarter Buffalo Pittsburgh Buffalo with the football uh, for the first time. Pittsburgh started with the ball, had to punt it. Uh, Bills are in Steeler territory, uh, driving near the 40-yard line. So the Bills trying to get on the board on their first opening series. or That's redundant. On their opening series, 10 minutes left to go first quarter in that one. How good were the role players for the Texans? Who were the unsung heroes for the Texans on Saturday? 713-780-ESPN. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You know what's always an unsung hero? Gentle Ben. It's finally a drink that you can feel good about. That's right. Uh, I love Gentle Ben. You know that. Vodka, gin, bourbon all in the rotation for me. Some people ask me, how do you deal with blankers for three hours a day? Gentle Ben! Uh, Gentle Ben does it better than anybody else. How? Their revolutionary Perseido technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you'll ever taste. Purification of Gentle Ben is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in it, including undesirable acids. These acids take the enjoyment out of your drinks. Well, Gentle Ben gets rid of the undesirable acid so you can enjoy. Try a sip of Gentle Ben vodka, gin, straight bourbon, cast-strength bourbon. Compare it to what you drink, and you will never go back. I've been a Gentle Ben man ever since I had that first sip. It's so smooth, so clean, eliminates the burn. Enjoy your drink. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store. Look for it at your favorite restaurant or bar. Or just head to GentleBin.com. That's right. Go to GentleBin.com, order their stuff, put it into your cart. They'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. How great is that? It's crafted in Texas by Ricky Ford, A&M grad, GentleBin, period. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights. But they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. Josh Allen just threw a touchdown pass to Dawson Knox. Uh, extra point good. 7 nothing Bills. Seven minutes left to go in the first quarter. So the uh, Steelers get nothing going on their first drive. The Bills march down the frozen field in Buffalo uh, and do it easily. So a 7 nothing lead there. If that were to hold, if that were to hold, uh, the Houston Texans will go to Baltimore Saturday, 3.30 Central Start. Joe, y'all doing the uh, postgame show again? I think Paul, Josh, and Michael are going to do it this weekend. Okay, you're uh, taking the Saturday off? I'll probably be on the board. Okay, all right. How did it go on Saturday? It went pretty well. The The normal Twitchers were there. There was some more positivity for the most part, but it went pretty well. Okay, that's good. That's good. Any of the uh, full-time guys call? Uh, Blank called. Good. BMAC called. All right, Brian, you mean? Yep. Beard called. Okay. That's Very it. Very good. 
That's good. I'm glad y'all had a. Uh, I'm glad y'all had a good time. Uh, how good were the role players for the Houston Texans Saturday against the Browns? Who were some unsung heroes for you, Blankers? Oh, there were plenty. I think Joe mentioned one. I think Christian Harris was big. Um, and I think the one that really caught my eye as well was Barnett because Barnett was a guy that you didn't know if the Texans would even kick the tires on. It's a guy that we discussed after we had some fun with JJ and all of the kind of innuendo that was on Twitter and everything else, but we knew that they might need some help, and we talked about backups. I thought Barnett played his tail off. I, I thought that he was big, and, and you know, at a time when he had what, the two, was it back-to-back or close to it, where he had a sack, and then he had a, a hurt. He was in the backfield again uh, at, as part of the pick, I think. Um, he was active. He was all over the place. The second week in a row that went in a big game that he stepped up from a guy that you, at the start of the year, had no idea was even going to be on your roster. And then you look at Brevin Jordan, and it was, you know, it was the one catch I think he had, but he had it, and he turned it upfield, and he turned it into a touchdown. And, you know, and he showed blazing speed doing it. Um, but when you look at some of those guys and some of the guys that you weren't expecting to see, the, you know, those kind of performances from, that's kind of another testament to Casario, to D'Amico, to the coaching staff, and the fact that they identified some talent that they may or may not need, and they needed it, and they, the guy stepped up. Yeah, Brevin Jordan's speed is uh, ridiculous. Uh, not great effort initially by Cleveland on that uh, the first opportunity they had to tackle him. But it looked like he was going to get sucked up from behind for like a split second, and then he just turned on the Jets and, and was gone. That, that was really impressive speed. It is kind of funny that it was his only uh, catch in that game. Uh, I'm kind of – you know that that was a name too, Jordan. Where you know, could he be a surprise cut? Because he didn't. He got hurt in training camp. He'd really done nothing uh, in his Houston Texans career since he got drafted. But uh, yeah, he's he's been impressive when when he's needed to be. Like when he's called upon, he played a little fullback when Beck missed that game a couple yep. of weeks ago. So I'm I, I'm happy. I'm pleased with what Revan Jordan has uh, has given you. And I think he's flipped the conversation now to like obviously he's not a, a a guy that could be cut. It's now is is he the heir apparent at the tight end position? Uh I hesitate with that. Like I'm not sure I'm ready to give him the reins of being tight end one, especially since he's still in his rookie deal. Uh but I, I would like to see his role increase a little bit next year, I guess. But I'm not quite there with him being tight end one. No, I'm with you. He's got a lot of athleticism. We saw the speed it seems like he can mix it up a little bit blocking, but, you know, he's not Dalton Schultz. Not that it's a knock on him as much as Dalton Schultz is a really above average pass catcher to where if you want to be tight end one for C.J. Stroud, you're going to have to put your mitts on a lot of footballs and you're going to have to make a lot of catches, especially in big situations. And that's something that we have to see more of. But, you know, the effort that he showed you and then when you needed it, you know, needed a big player, you didn't know you were going to need a big play. But just the way that he was able to get around the corner and turn on the Jets was huge. Three three six three. Why is Branham treating ton, uh, seventy eight like he's Voldemort? <laughs> I don't know who Voldemort or is. Uh, they won, and you can put off being salty for a week. Say his name. I I I cannot. I get fined every time that I I say seventy eight's name. So that's why I'm acting that way uh, to answer the question. I'm with you on Barnett. Um, I, I think Barnett can kind of lead you to a bigger conversation when it comes to John Grenard, who only played fifteen snaps in that game. Now, some of that was because it got out of hand in the second half. You know, maybe he could have played twenty five snaps mm-hmm. uh, of like the the seventy that there were on the defensive end. Watching like and he moved around okay. Like I thought, you know, you can tell he wasn't a hundred percent, but he was definitely impactful whenever he played. And the Will Anderson sack, he's the one who kind of forced it because he got yeah. into the backfield, forced Flacco into the pocket. Will Anderson has an unbelievable motor, didn't quit on the play, and voila, there he is for the sack. So I thought Grenard looked good, but the fact that his pitch count was as like as little as it was, 
I don't. I, I'm sorry. I don't believe the Aaron Wilson report that he had a grade one ankle sprain because this is three weeks removed from that, and he's playing 15 plays in a playoff game. He missed two must win games. I, I think it's more severe than they're letting on. Now, Jeremy, obviously, you, he's capable of playing, but it wasn't no grade one ankle sprain. No, I would agree with that. But did you see when he came off the field? There was one series yeah, or one play when he came half, off the field. It looked like he spiked the helmet like. He was ticked off like he was feeling something. I did. That was in the second half. Yeah, that was a bit concerning to me. That was in the second half. Now, what what I would say, like, was promising, and, look, we'll watch the injury report throughout the week, um, was that, like, the game was out of hand, so there was no need to to put him back in. And I can't remember which pick six it was. I want to say it was the second one. He he ran in there and got in on the celebration. So it's like, okay, if you're running in and you're getting in on the celebration, like you're probably all right. Like you're probably not. I mean, you have still an ankle where you're capable of walking to celebrate and probably jogging to celebrate. And then he talked after the game. So, like, I, I feel comfortable that he'll be good enough to play Saturday, uh, whether you're playing Baltimore or Kansas City. Now, I think it's more severe than a grade one ankle sprain because this is three weeks removed. He missed two must-win games, and he's only, he's only playing 15 snaps in a wild card round. I feel like that report didn't do Grenard favors. Yeah, whether we go back to the conversation we had or not, the bottom line is is that you know you would think that especially at this time and you see the kind of passion that he's he's trying to be out there right now that there he was probably dealing with a little bit more. There's probably something more to it than Aaron Wilson had. Um, but regardless, you're right. The biggest thing to me was that was the biggest bonus in in the fact that they were blowing them out was the fact that you could really take it easy on some guys that are continuing to nurse injuries so that you're going to be okay. You now know you're going to be without Noah Brown going forward. So you know that you've got to have everybody else. And Woods was iffy, and, and you need Woods out there. You need Grenard out there. You need some of the guys that had been missing the last time even you played Cleveland. So that was a really nice added bonus. You can't rest everybody, but the guys you were able to rest were the guys that needed it most. And it starts with John Grenard because he's been so dominant on the defensive side of the football. Now, to your point, I, I do think that he re-aggravated something before they pulled the starters or the stars. Now, like, how serious was it? I think that was influenced by the uh, the score of the game. Uh, you mentioned Mechie, correct? Cause, uh, yeah, thought- my, my list was a lot more extensive. But, yeah, Mechie was the guy that we finally saw something from. Mechie was uh, – I was very encouraged with John Mechie uh, in this game. And it's, like, great to get that kind of – game. like, Noah Brown played five snaps and was done. He played the first series and then was toast. Uh, like, he looked like he might have been favoring his it. shoulder. Like, to me, he still didn't look healthy on the back just running around. They actually placed him on the IR earlier yep. today. So his season's done. I actually think it's the last time we see Noah Brown in a Texans uniform. He's a free agent at the end of the year, and I think they like their, their young receivers. That was the first time that Mechie looked be- – Mechie Alabama-y. Yep. Uh, and, and look – like to me, I'm more. I get more encouragement from that game for Mechie next year than like Mechie next week. Because like for the first time all year, I'm seeing John Mechie run around, whether it's an end around for nine yards, whether it's a catch down the right sideline. I'm like, okay, like Mechie still has some Mechie in him, yep. and it made me feel good about the receiving room next year, and it made me feel good about John Mechie as a backup wide receiver for your team next season. It made me feel good for the rest of this year simply because they're looking for warm bodies that can actually yeah. catch the football. And Hutchinson can, you know, maybe has some potential down the road. It looks like you know I'm a little concerned about his hands and his confidence and everything at this point in the season. But to, to see the plays that we saw out of Mechie, you're right. It looked like that's the old John Mechie again. There are signs of that. Instead of him trying to be Tank Dell and, and, and being forced into the position of trying to be a, a guy that you can't be, there's only one Tank Dell, just seeing him be more like himself, to see him, you know, he's he's actually a better-than-average blocker a lot of times. People don't give him credit for. But the fact is, is he could be physical, but when he's at his best, when he gets into space, when he can get some clear, some clear space, he knows what to do with it. And those were good, positive plays for him. 
you're you're uh you nailed it with this physicality. Like that is like even whenever he hasn't been a huge weapon offensively, I, I have noticed that he is definitely mm-hmm. a will. Not only is he a willing blocker, but he's willing to mix it up. Yep. Like there's one thing of being like a willing blocker, and there's another thing where you kind of give an extra push and you're willing to go eye to eye with a defender. I have just don't put him in there on a goal line. Yeah, I, although I'm not as concerned about Mechie on the goal line than I am Tank. Oh, I hear he's you, not but I'm still saying. I get you, though. I do appreciate the reference a lot. Uh, Joe, do you have a, an unsung hero from this game on Saturday? Yeah, we haven't mentioned Devin Singletary yet. Uh, he was he was very, very good in this game. Like Early on, the run game was really struggling, but they, they figured it out in the second half. Obviously, mo- most of his yards came at the end of the game, but he averaged five yards a carry when all, set, when all was said and done, and he, he just looks solid again. Like He is just very clearly... Like, I, do you guys feel disappointed when you saw Pierce take like the one handoff he yes. took early yeah, in the game? Like, I, it, it's I just, go, why? Yeah, why? Exactly. It's like, what, what are we doing? Like, it's not necessary. But Singletary was good once again. Like, he has been a huge part of this offense and was again on Saturday. No, he shows more and more the value of just how system fit matters and, and the fact that he's just he's got that t- that toughness to him too. He just. The, the way, and maybe part of it, too, is because everybody says, well, look how small he is. Sometimes it's just the fact that he can kind of take that extra pause and, and half-step to kind of hide behind a lineman and then find the exact right cut to make and the jump cuts there. Or, you know, a change of direction is still something he can get away with because of his shiftiness and, and his size. He's the perfect fit in this offense for this team. Yeah, you'd like to have someone that can really just go between the tackles and do what he does and maybe be you know a little bit more versatile, getting you four or five yards of carry. He's been way more than you could have asked for when you signed him at the start of the year, and he's obviously your clear-cut number one that, and basically the only guy you want to see have the football in his hands in the backfield. I wouldn't go as far to say perfect fit, but he's a much better fit than Damian Pierce. Like I think Christian McCaffrey is a perfect fit. Well, for fit. this year, I think he's the perfect fit for, for what this you team. have. Yeah, yeah, for what your what your personnel is, I, I agree. Uh, I was very, I was fascinated with that graphic that they showed during the game. I don't know if y'all saw it. It's like week, I can't remember the week. I, I want to say week nine, uh, but maybe I'm off on the week. But since week blank, I think yes. it was week nine. They had the top three rushers in mm-hmm. the NFL. Christian McCaffrey was one, Najee Harris was two, and Devin Singletary was three. And whenever I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, the Texans are running the ball, which was a struggle at the beginning of the season. And, and it's like as a positive, as positive as that is for Devin Singletary, I think it's actually more negative for Damian Pierce because this scheme, Shanahan scheme, Slowick scheme, like if you're a capable runner that is a fit, you're going to run for a lot of yards. Like you go back to Shanahan in Denver and all the undrafted free agents that they had running for a thousand yards a year. Terrell Davis went from, you know, obscurity to a Hall of Famer. Uh, go look at the lineage of running backs they had in Denver. Then what the Houston Texans did with the same type of scheme. Arian Foster was more of a scheme fit than he was a talent. He was undrafted. Uh, and then you look at what San Francisco was doing before they had McCaffrey. Everybody was a thousand yard ru- a rusher. McDaniel in Miami. Raheem Mostert this year led the NFL in touchdowns at 31 years old whenever he was kind of an afterthought in San Francisco so like this is kind of a bulletproof idiot proof type of offensive scheme where you should have the ability to run the ball if you're a fit and it to me that was more telling on Damian Pierce than it actually was on Devin Singletary now I do think Singletary is very good it's just very very obvious that this is a scheme where anybody can run well most people can run the ball and if you can't and the Texans couldn't for the first four weeks why why is that the case well you have a guy that doesn't fit the scheme 
And that's kind of worrisome about Damian Pierce long term. And it's also on the running back's mentality, too, because I think a lot of running backs, their only mentality is I got to hit the hole. I got to hit the hole hard and fast between the tackles. That's where the opportunities lie. And then when you get guys that are open minded to the system and understand the schemes and how to read them, that's when you can really flourish like Singletary has. I, I use it as a comparison, but in a different way. But it's like, well, why did the Denver offensive schemes work? With, with the way that they would pass block and run block when everybody's like, well, that how do they do that? Their, their linemen are smaller, they're undersized. But if everybody's on the same page with it and that moves, you, you think about how successful they were for how many years in doing it that way. And it's the same way with the offensive schemes and the offense for a running back. If you can just go with it, be open-minded to it, and understand the holes might not be your traditionals, you know, through the guard, through the tackle, left side, right side. The way he gets outside quickly and the way that he can bounce one out and then still beat whoever's on the edge to the sideline has been very impressive in the second half of the season. Quick reads, very quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damian, Reese, uh, Damian Pierce, I don't think he has either one of those. Uh, Steelers went three and out. Buffalo had the ball but was forced to punt. Steelers get it back, trailing 7 nothing. 4.20 to go in the first quarter. Uh, the the AFC final AFC wild card game of the day. All right, 713-780-ESPN. Let's hand out some game balls from around the NFL. Who deserves game balls for their performance over the weekend? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.